Welcome to the Make Learning Magical podcast. I am your host, Tisha Richmond. On this show, I chat with educators and thought leaders from around the world to hear stories of how they are transforming teaching and creating unforgettable learning experiences because we all have our own special magic. Welcome to the Make Learning Magical podcast. I am over the moon excited because we are launching a second season of the Make Learning Magical podcast. And who better to kick off the season than with the amazing Dave Burgess. He is an incredible author of the best-selling book, Teach Like a Pirate. He is a publisher of a zillion books now, I think. He is a world-renowned speaker, and he has been an incredible inspiration to me in my journey. And I just couldn't be more excited to kick off the season with Dave Burgess. Welcome, Dave. Hey, Tisha. Thank you so much for having me on the show. I'm super excited to be here. Make Learning Magical Podcast Season 2. Let's do this. Let's do this. Oh, my goodness. So I am thinking back to... I believe it was 2014, and I was a brand new connected educator. I had just brought iPads into my classroom. I had just discovered that there was this thing called Twitter, and um, I knew that there was Twitter, but I really didn't know that there was Twitter for educators and how powerful it was. And I also started kind of listening to different educational podcasts. I had never really explored podcasts before. And I remember I was listening to a podcast and it was hosted by Todd Nesloni. And he had you on as a guest. And I always forget what the name, I always want to say kids deserve it. I I can't remember what the name of the podcast was. It'll come to me, I'm sure, later tonight. But I I remember I was running around the high school and I was listening and I was just getting more fired up as I was running. I think I might have done an extra couple laps around the school and I, I came home and I told my husband, oh my goodness, you have to listen to this podcast. Like, this is amazing. This Dave Burgess guy, we're, you know, speaking the same language in education. And so it wasn't that long after that I bought the book and I started you know, hearing that there were other books that were coming out. And, and so that's really where I first heard of you. And so to think back now, what is that six years later? And now I have you on my podcast. Like, how crazy is that? Things have come full circle. And so, yeah. Publisher of your book and all, and now on the podcast. So I'm going to tell you something. So that podcast, the co-host was Chris Kessler. Yes, um, Chris Kessler from Texas and Todd Esloni, and they had me on. And I remember telling them, you know, here's the deal. I, I don't know if this is going to work, guys, but I want to do a magic trick on the podcast. <laughs> and so you need to tell people ahead of time to bring seven cards with you to the podcast show. <laughs> and then if everyone put it like an X on one of the cards, we did this whole thing. And then people tweeted pictures of the successful, um, hopefully successful uh, fruition of the magic trick. And so it was an on-air live podcast magic trick with Chris Kessler and Todd Nesloni. And I'll tell you something else, uh, a little kind of backstory on that. Chris Kessler, actually, um, I'm very thankful for because he is responsible for the TLAP hashtag and chat. And so he, 
before I had a TLAP hashtag, before there was a TLAP chat, he had got, he started a book study at his school and contacted me and said, Hey, I want to do a Twitter chat book study on Teach Like a Pirate. And he came up with the TLAP hashtag and started to run a book study. And I would join every week in to the book study and, and help him. And then at the end of the book study, I'm like, Hey, this, it, it, more and more people were joining the book study from other places from around the nation. And uh, at the end, he's like, well, I, like the book study's over. And I'm like, yeah, the book study's over, but this hashtag's not over. This chat's not over. Like, I'm just going to roll this over into an ongoing thing. And so his book study was the start of the TLAP hashtag back in 2013. And, um, then it eventually rolled over into the chat. And so the, the, the TLAP hashtag chat has been going for uh, like over seven years. Goodness. That is incredible. That is incredible. And I think that that's really how I started really getting connected with just educators that had that same fire as, as I did. And um, started joining in every week. And I have always felt with the TLAP chat that when the chat ends, I just have like this renewed fire for the week. And I love that it's on Mondays because I think it's a perfect day to like kick off your week. You know, everybody's kind of tired and in a little bit of a lull after the weekend going into Monday, but then you hit TLAP Monday night and you're like, all right, let's do this. I can, I can continue the week. So I feel the same way. So I, 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 I feel uplifted. I feel supported. I feel inspired. And that's all about that community that comes together yeah. of like-minded people. And it's, uh, you know, so maybe you're alone on your campus. Maybe you don't have that same support for your crazy ideas or things that you want to try, innovative things on your campus. But you can always go to social media, to Twitter. You can find like-minded people. And one of the places, of course, is the TLAP hashtag. So Mondays, we kick off the week with TLAP. And, and then you add that to Sean Gaylord's Celebrate Monday, and we got a, a double whammy start to Mondays for educators uh, across the across the world. Yeah, that is fantastic. And what a better time right now than to engage with excited, passionate educators? Because I mean, wow, what a ride we've been on since March. Um, to think that. That was, what, six months ago? In some ways, it seems like yesterday. In some ways, it seems like it's been five years since March. I mean, so it's been such a heavy, heavy, hard year. And I know um, being in a district, I feel the pressure. I feel the stress. I feel just all of the emotions. Everybody's feeling so many emotions so strongly because this is really uncharted waters, right? And as I, I say that often, I'm like, we're in uncharted waters. And I always like immediately your quote comes to my mind. And so I want to talk about that for a minute because your quote says pirates are daring, adventurous, and willing to sail into uncharted waters with no guarantees of success. When I think about that, I'm sure when you said that for the first time, however many years ago that was, was it like 10? Like, I don't know when that quote came into being. Probably 15. 15 years ago. So when I think about that, I mean, and think about that in the context of where we're at right now in education and how daring and adventurous teachers are needing to be right now. I mean, they are truly 
in uncharted waters. We've never been here before. Yeah, absolutely true. And so that's something, you know, obviously I didn't foresee this happening. <laughs> I think teachers are always in that place, but I think especially now. And that's the, you know, obviously the pandemic is a tragedy and there's been unbelievable uh, just n- number of people that have been affected in horrific ways. And so not making light of that in any way. But I do think there are some things that have come out of it. One is that spirit of innovation, creativity, and the empathy that we all have for learners. Everyone's been thrown into the position of being a learner again. Yeah. And so we're asking our students to be learners all the time, and they're struggling, they're having problems. And sometimes we lose that empathy for what it's like to be to, to do things that are new, that are hard and tough. And then all of a sudden, on one day, uh, everything was, our our ship was overturned, right? And we got thrown into the water and we're in a position where we had to learn how to navigate that. I told, sometimes when I'm in a uh, session with a staff, I'll say, listen, I, you were flying in your educational plane. And all of a sudden, on one day, they took you over to the door, opened it, handed you a scrap of nylon and some string, pushed you out the window and said, build a parachute on the way down. Good luck, right? And that's basically what happened last year. And so, and then I think the other thing about this is that there's no, um, it's the uncertainty. So uh, one of the most stressful things in the world is not knowing bad circumstances, but not but the uncertainty of not knowing what the future holds. That's a very stressful thing. Stressful for educators. It's stressful for our students too. And so even today, as we record this, there's great uncertainty about when we're coming out of this into something which is some sort of a new normal, right? And so I, I think that's part of the stress of being an educator right now, being a human right now, is the uncertainty of the future. Yeah. A hundred percent. And I, I mean, I know I didn't know it hit me in March when all of a sudden, you know, our district, all, I'm a tech integration specialist. And all of a sudden that, that brought on a whole new meeting when everybody was online and everybody, whether they liked it or not, was having to use technology. And as we basically brought in a whole new learning management system into a district that hadn't had a learning management system. And all of a sudden I was in charge of rolling it out and Wow, talk about being a new learner and truly um, it's just like it was just came crashing over me. Like there is so much, much new learning happening. And um, and often throughout that in the summer, I remember just feeling almost kind of like this paralyzed feeling like I couldn't even get to that creative part of my brain because the learning was so intense and so heavy. I just had to like, felt like I was kind of, you know, gasping for air and until I could finally kind of get to the surface and make sense of this in a way that I can actually tap into my, into my creativity again. But yeah, it's, it's wild, wild times. Well, your role became the most popular person on campus, right? And so that's, I talked to lots of ed tech coaches who, when this happened, it was like, well, like, oh, now you want to talk to me? Like, I, some, some of these educators, like, I've been trying to hold conversations around with, with you for with technology and education for years, and now all of a sudden they're all lined up. Like, they're like, oh, by the way, you know, all those conversations that you ha- wanted to have for me, those professional developments you're holding, like, uh, I need them now, please, because. Uh, and so it's kind of this interesting thing where uh, the the ed tech specialists. And the ed tech coaches are now like, oh man, their 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 role has been elevated out of necessity, right? And so they say like necessity is the mother of invention. 
And, um, and, and in this case, as we're kind of inventing things on the, on the fly right now, that's the case. So I, again, but it, it does encourage that spirit of innovation. And, um, you know, like one of the, my favorite quotes from George Kuros in the innovator's mindset is George says, uh, change is an opportunity to do something amazing. And so I think that's maybe a hard pill to swallow right now to think of this as being something that could be amazing. But I do think that we're going to, as we uh, move past the pandemic, we're going to have a whole community of educators who have all new tech skills, a whole set of students who have all new tech skills. And now we have these uh, more tools at our disposal and ways of delivering curriculum and ways of connecting and interacting with educators that uh, were not there before or were not widely used. They might have been there, but we weren't widely using them before. And so now I think it's going to open up some new possibilities coming forward uh, uh, that's going to lead to sort of a um, like a renaissance and like an ed tech renaissance and educate maybe an ed- educational renaissance, hopefully. Yeah. I agree. And and I think about the fact, you know, back in it was about 2014 when I disrupted my teaching philosophy and, and just my classroom in a big way. You know, I brought in iPads. I started getting crazy with these new ideas and I disrupted this very dialed in um routine that I had as an educator. And, you know, I was feeling pretty comfortable. And then when I decided to, to, to mix things up, it felt super uncomfortable and scary. And so even though that's not quite the same comparison, because I chose to disrupt, I chose to stir things up in my classroom and educators right now didn't choose this. <laughs> they didn't choose to stir things up and, and to have this disruption. But when I think about where I was then, and I think about where I am now, and the courage that I have as an educator now, I get excited for the educators that are in this spot right now, that are in the midst of disruption, they're in the midst of something very, very uncomfortable and scary. But I'm starting already and what we're only, well, I mean, if we ta- bring in the spring and we bring in the fall, I mean, we're, we're about six months in, but already I'm seeing such a difference in just teachers' courage and their, the way that they're innovating blows my mind. And I think, wow, like already we're not, we're still in a very, very um, uncertain and stressful time, but already I'm seeing those those teachers really start to sh- to shine and rise up and 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 be courageous and it's super exciting for me to witness because i know from my own experience what disruption did in my own educational journey yeah i think i think that's going to be something that's very powerful and, and the other thing about this is there's always been this um, paradigm in education that changes flow and people will say that, like, oh, oh, don't don't try to do that. Don't try to move too quickly. Like, uh, uh, this is this is the ship that has to turn very slowly in education. And you know, they usually kind of these these sayings like that. And well, we found out now. Well, it's not necessarily the case. Unfortunately, it was forced, right? But uh, I think hopefully, again, coming moving forward out of the pandemic, let's forever break that paradigm that change has to be slow. Change doesn't have to be slow. Change can happen quickly in education and then we can adapt, adapt quickly. At the same time, recognizing that I have yet to talk to an educator this year who has not said 
that they are completely overwhelmed and that they are exhausted and that this has brought new meaning to that phrase. People always talk about teacher tired is different than other kinds of, well, there's like teacher tired 2020 and teacher tired 2020 is like 10 times teacher tired. And that uh, this idea, part of it has come from maybe an unrealistic expectation that things are going to be the same or that you're going to be able to deliver the exact same kind of instruction that you were before, which is just not the case. And so if you're out there listening to this and you're feeling overwhelmed, tired, and like just at the at your very wits end and at the edge, like I said, I've yet to find I've yet to talk to an educator who doesn't feel like that on most days. And so um, that's certainly something that we need to remember too. Yeah, absolutely. And and speaking of that, I know in my own life, because I have definitely felt the overwhelm, I felt the stress. And um, for me, I have had to find outlets to be able to burn that stress off. And so uh, I run on a weekly basis. I am now starting to do CrossFit and do some other things to exercise. And, and I know throughout the summer, I would say I'm running for survival right now, because if I don't run, I am going to lose it. Like I am so stressed. And and I know from seeing your posts on Instagram that you have had increase in your activity and, and fitness as well. And so I'd love to hear a little bit about that. And because I'm sure as the pirate, you have your own stress related to the pandemic in this crazy time. What has your fitness meant to you in self-care and your overall, you know, well-being? Yeah, so it's been important for me during this time to really focus in on creating a routine around that. And so, like, for me, the mornings, like, winning the morning is the key of the day for me. So if I can get up and, and get into my routine and do what I need to do, then that's going to set my, my whole day up for success. And so exercise in the morning has been a big thing. And for me, it's also not just a physical thing, but it's also a mental health thing for me as well. It's my chance to get out, to be out and to be, uh, I'm in San Diego usually, right? Or, or Hawaii. So it's a great place to be outside year round. And, but to get outside, to be, you know, to get a sweat up, and to go spend some time with my own thoughts and all that is a big thing. I can decompress. Um, and so, uh, and if people are not, people, you don't have to do CrossFit. You don't have to run. You don't have to do any of these things that we're talking about here. Uh, one of the greatest exercises in the world is walking. And so if you can open your door and go out and walk, you can start this. Um, and so it's that, but it's that consistency and, and developing a habit around it. And I mentioned this uh, re- recently uh, on a show that people say like, well, I know that you have all these different balls up in the air. You're juggling all these different things and you're busy. And like, how do you find time to fit in your exercise? And I always tell them, no, 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 no. You don't understand. I don't fit in my exercise. I do my exercise. Everything else has to fit around it. And so that's the way you have to look at it. And that was, I got that from a Seth Godin podcast where he was talking about a, a, a woman who was a professional, highly successful, incredibly busy unbelievable. Like you can't squeeze anything into her schedule, but she swims every single day. And she was asked that question. How do you fit the swimming in? She's like, no, no, no. Swimming goes in first. That goes into my calendar first. I am going to swim every day. That is my commitment. And then everything else must fit around it. If something, if, if a ball is going to drop, it's not going to be that one. I swim every day. And so that's kind of how you have to take your wellness and your self-care and your fitness is that's a big part of, um, that's a big part of, 
who you being capable to be at your best for your students, to be capable to be at your best for your staff. If you're an administrator, is that self care, wellness, and to come into your day, uh, you know, at full strength. But you can't do that without being without wellness. You can't do that without fitness. You can't do that without good fueling, nutrition, right? You can't do that without good recovery, whether that's, you know, knowing when you have to mix the day off, getting sleep. All these things are things that tend to fall off when we're stressed out. All of a sudden, like, oh, we're not sleeping as much. We're not eating right. All those different things. But that's a big, I mean, uh, you would never not put gas in your car, right? And then expect that you're going to be able to drive around. Um, but yet we are driving our bodies around all the time. And, and if you're not fueling it properly, then it's, you know, it's no different. You're going to run out of gas. You're not going to be at your best. Yeah, absolutely. And it gets easier. I think when I started exercising regularly, um, it was a little harder to get going because it wasn't a habit. It wasn't a routine. But the more you do it, the more you you kind of crave it. And then if you don't do it, then you're like, something's wrong. Like I don't, you, you definitely miss it. Um, at least that's how it's been for me. And so, yeah, it's been a huge, huge part of my my self-care. And I have found during this time that that I've had to. I really have had to for my own well-being and the well-being of everybody that has to deal with me on a daily basis that I take those steps to to take care of myself. And I kind of leading into a quote that you posted on Instagram the other day, it said the most important conversation is the one that you have with yourself. And I think right now in, in education, just in, in general, I think everybody, because we're all feeling such a heaviness and, and such a stress um, and we're, we're, we are learning so fast in education that sometimes we can be hardest on ourselves. And I know that that is the case for me. Um, Sometimes I can start getting into a really negative type of self-talk. And I have to remember that, that how I talk to myself is super, super important. And I think that's a I appreciated when that was when a quote that really resonated this week when when you posted it, because I think sometimes we're we're the hardest on ourselves. Yeah, and that's from and that quote comes from David Goggins, who is an absolute and complete um, inspirational monster. Like, I mean, he's, he's he's amazing. And so, if you don't follow David Goggins, follow David Goggins. And if you just watch his videos, you're going to be ready to like knock down a wall um, afterwards. And if you're like, oh, I'm not really motivated to to get my workout in today, just pop on a David Goggins video, and you'll be you'll get out of bed and, and do your workout because. Uh, he's a pretty inspirational guy. So that comes from him. And I think, I mean, that's the, sometimes um, when we don't want to face something, uh, we fill in the gaps. You know, we make ourselves bu- like busyness sometimes is not about how much we have to do. It's about what we're trying to avoid sometimes. And so it, maybe we have some real deep thinking and some conversations that we need to have internally with ourselves some self-reflective things about our life. And it's super easy to try to fill in all the gaps and become overwhelmingly busy just to, to avoid those kind of deeper, deeper conversations with ourselves. And that, I mean, that's a great part of the exercise, too, is you have time and um, to be able to, to kind of dive into some of those thoughts. Yeah, absolutely. So I have loved this past. Um, I think it's been maybe it's been over a year that you've been doing the Sunday sevens. Has it been over a year? 
Yeah, I think it's been, I think we've been doing it for over a year. Sunday seven. Uh, by the way, you sign up at DaveBurgessConsulting.com, not my website, DaveBurgess.com. You sign up at DaveBurgessConsulting.com. And then every Sunday, uh, sometimes it's me, sometimes it's Shelly, sometimes it's one of our authors, uh, sometimes someone from this, the PLN. And it's seven just short little things that we're either enjoying, a recommendation, a tip, uh, maybe a Netflix show that we enjoy, a recipe, um, an educational, a person that you should follow, a quote to think about. And the idea, I want to give full credit, the idea behind this came from Tim Ferriss. Tim Ferriss has um, his five bullet Friday. And so every Friday he sends out the little short email of five things that he's thinking about that week. And so Tim Ferriss's Five Bullet Friday inspired me to work with the DBC team, uh, Tara and Shelly and Wendy and Marcel to create the uh, um, Sunday Seven. I love it. I always, every week I get excited to, to read it because there's always just great little tidbits of information, like ideas to try, like you said, recipes, shows to watch. Um, and then I love too that you always shout people out, which I think is awesome. And you just, I always feel like I get to know you and your authors better. And it's just kind of fun. You learn little tidbits about people that you wouldn't have learned otherwise. And uh, speaking of the last one you did, I think it was two weeks ago that you were highlighted in the Sunday 7 and you shared out a couple things that I was really intrigued by. I was, I'm intrigued by all of it, but a couple of things that st stood out was the um, Netflix episode, The Octopus Teacher, which I watched <laughs> because yes, my, I, my octopus teacher, my octopus teacher. So why don't you share a little bit about that? Because I thought it was a pretty, pretty intriguing documentary. Yeah, so it's kind of outside the box and not something that you would think that maybe I would recommend. But it's this story. Basically, the short, I, I, you know, I won't give you the, I won't give everything away, but the short version of the story is it's a, a free diver who is also an incredible underwater photographer, videographer, and he goes and dives down into a kelp forest and visits the same octopus every single day. Every single day. And then, you know, at first is an outsider coming in and like kind of, uh, scary and all that. And then eventually, you know, that's almost like a relationship develops. And you get to see the underwater, um, you know, the marine life and that whole like eco ecosystem in an entirely different way. And so um, it's, it's basically the story of him visiting this octopus every day, which sounds like a very crazy thing to have a Netflix special on, but it's pretty fascinating. It was fascinating. And when you say every day, I mean, it was like 365. I mean, it was almost a year, I think. I can't remember. They, they, he kept putting like day 250, day. And I know he at least got to day 324. I think it was longer yeah. than that. It was a long time that he spent every day going down and seeing this very same octopus. Yeah. And, and I think... I kind of, you know, there's obviously not everything can be a parallel to education, but I do think there are actually some things in there that were good parallel to education. And one of them was the idea of the way that you see something differently when you see it every day. Um, so like, for example, when you are a part of a school system or a classroom and you're there every single day, you start to see uh, differences 
And, you know, it's so like if, you, if you're always at a different place, different, you know, me for right now, uh, especially pre-pandemic, I'm traveling around to different schools. And so I'm seeing all the different. Well, that's one way of, of viewing education, right? As you, I'm getting to see this wide array of educational circumstances and styles and strategies and staff and uh, different ways administrators run their campuses. So that's a pretty cool way to study education. But another equally valid way of studying education is to really go deep dive at one place over and over again where you can really see what's happening underneath the surface. And the other thing is, is that trust that develops between him and the octopus because why, why does it develop? Because he simply shows up. And he doesn't show up once, twice. He shows up every day and he becomes a, 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 just a part of that uh, octopus's life, right? And that's the way it is with students, is that it's not so much something that you're going to do on one day. It's not some it's not some hack. It's not some trick that you're going to do to build rapport and relationships with students or anything like that. One of the most important parts of building a relationship with students is the fact that you're saying, like, no, like, I'm going to be here. And I'm going to be here tomorrow. Like in this pandemic right now, one of the most important things kids can know is like, hey, all these crazy things are happening in the world right now. It's tough. There's trauma. There's problems. But one thing that you can count on, I'm going to be back here tomorrow with you. Whether it's Zoom or it's Facebook, I'm, I'm coming back tomorrow. And when kids start to realize, oh, wait, this is something, this is authentic. Like they're actually, they, they do care about being in this space with me. And they will be here tomorrow. And the next day and the next day and the next day, then they start to open up and make those connections. And that's what you see like on this, you know, between a diver and an octopus of all things. I mean, at what, what greater level can we make those connections as human beings? Yeah, no, I actually, I thought of the same connections as I was watching it. And one thing that was really powerful to me was there was a moment when the diver accidentally dropped his camera lens and it startled. The octopus was just about ready to connect with this diver and he was coming towards the diver and he was so excited. And in that moment, he dropped the lens and the octopus just took off and he couldn't, he just scared him. And so he was so upset because he thought, oh my goodness, like I have lost all connection. I may never see this octopus again. And so he came back and he started like, I think it was a, over the course of maybe a week or two weeks, he started documenting all of these clues and tried to find this octopus. And finally, after a week or two of taking these very intricate notes and mapping, he was able to find this octopus again. And so just that like tenacity, right? You might have a day with a kid where it's, it's a nightmare. Like maybe you have a really bad interaction and you feel like, oh my gosh, like I have totally broken trust with this kid. But that doesn't mean you have, you just have to keep, have that tenacity and, and to continue connecting and continuing to find ways to, to help that, that student know that you do care and that you do want to connect with them. Yeah. I, I think the, another big lesson was the more he visited the, the, the kelp forest, the more he understood the interconnected relationship of everything. And so what he initially saw as separate, um, he all of a sudden realized like, oh, wait, no, all of these things are interconnected and all these things matter. And, uh, and something harmful to one part of this environment is going to impact everything in this environment. And I think that's an important lesson for school systems too, is that, yeah, maybe our classroom is a safe space, 
But if they go out on a campus and it's not a safe space, that's going to impact everything. If they're what, what they're what's happening at home, what happens with their interactions with the front office, what happens with um, you know every single piece of the puzzle. And so I think that's something that we can look at as educators too. It's like, well, um, you know, I wrote a blog about the two different stores that I went into with the different signage and the different ways they greeted. Well, so what, what is the signage of your school? What is it saying to kids about this space? Is it saying like, Hey, we're watching you and there's, this is the place where we want you to conform and obey rules. Or is this a place where we're trying to trust you and empower you? And so what is the, what does your classroom say when they walk in? All these things are interconnected and they seem separate, but they're not separate at all. That what happens at lunch <laughs> is impacting what happens after lunch in your classroom. And so we can't see our school systems as these separate places, but it's just a big, huge connected sphere. And I think that was something that was really drawn out in the movie, in the documentary as well. Yeah, no, it was great. I love it. So see, you all now have to watch The Octopus Teacher and, and sign up for The Sunday 7 because you do learn lots of great stuff. In fact, the other thing from that same one was, was Blinkist, which is it Blinkist? Is that what yeah. it's called? Yeah. So I didn't sign up yet, but I was intrigued by it because sometimes I, I I am intrigued by a book and I don't necessarily have the time to read the whole thing or I don't know that I want to read the whole thing. But from what you said in the Sunday 7, this is giving you kind of a little short synopsis, Blinkist is, of books and Tell us about it. Yeah, Tell well, us I mean, about what this is. Basically, it's an app. It's a you know desktop and app. They like yeah. uh, uh, work together. Um, and it's like a 15, 20-minute, hey, these are the most important takeaways from this book, nonfiction books. You know, so whether – and it's in a wide array of topics, whether it's uh, – business, marketing, sales, health, whatever it might be. Like the books that you're always hearing people talk about, you're like, oh, I wish I had time to read all these books. Well, you don't have time to read all these books, but you can get some of the that wisdom in that 15 and 20 minute bite. Uh, it can be read or you can also listen to it. Like, so if you're exercising, there's an audio version of it as well. And what I think is super useful for, see, part of, part of my resistance to signing up for this was that um, it's this We've convinced people that uh, like things like cliff notes are cheating. <laughs> so like, I remember like you had, and when I was in high school, you had to hide cliff notes. Like if, if my <laughs> English teacher saw me with cliff notes, I was in trouble, right? Yeah. And so, but yet cliff notes were something that could be used as a supplement to help you learn and digest uh, a book and, and kind of go a little deeper into what the meaning is, right? But it was absolutely like, I mean, you saw that like, someone opened their backpack and cliff notes fell out. It was like silence, like a pin drop in the classroom. Like, oh my God, like the next person is going to be killed, right? Um, and so I always had this kind of belief that like this is some sort of cheating. But it's like, no, wait a second. I want the wisdom from these books. I don't have the time for all of it, but maybe even more importantly, it gives me a chance to taste test books. And so... I can now go and then, well, let me just get the 15 minute kind of version of this book and then go, oh, that's super interesting. I want to know all of it. I want to know more. And it's made me more informed in my choices of what I really want to dive into and spend, uh, you know, a full book's worth of time on. And so I, I look at it as taste, taste testing. I taste test all these books that people are talking about and then dive into the ones which I really find useful based on the 15 minutes. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, I'm definitely intrigued by it. I think that I might have to have to sign up for that one. So awesome stuff. 
So I want to I want to bring up one more quote because I love your quotes and I have put them in you know my my own presentations because they have meant a lot to me in my journey and one of my very favorite well there's there's two that I want to share the first one is you can offer no finer gift or higher honor to the world than to find out what your drum is and then play it for all it's worth and you always share out the blog post around Christmas time the drummer drummer boy. Um, blog post, which you highlight that quote in. And I, I think about that quote and I think about like, I, you have been a huge inspiration to me in helping me find my own drum. And I, I just want to, I want to share that because I think there's a lot of educators out there that might see things that other people are doing and go, wow, like, I wish I could do that. Or, Wow, I you know that's great that that person is 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 doing this thing, but I don't know that I could do that thing. And and I think it's so important to understand that we all have a drum to play, and we all have our own special gifts. And when we do find it, it's important to play that for the world, you know, and to share. Because I think about what would have happened if if I hadn't found my drum and I. And I never discovered that I had a a book to write, you know, in Make Learning Magical. And um, where would I be? Where would I be right now in education? And so first of all, I want to say thank you, because you've been a huge piece of that for me and in my journey. And I I just want to encourage everyone out there to find your drum and to play it for the world, because we need you. Absolutely. I mean, that's uh, a key part of Teacher Cup Pirate is to tell people what is unique about you? Your particular strengths and talents, your voice that you add to your classroom is what makes you most um, powerful and effective with students and um, or as an administrator with your staff or whatever it might be that you're doing in life. But it's that unique strength and talent that you have. And that story has always inspired me. This, you know, this young boy who just feels um, like all the the newborn child is being showered with all these gifts from kings and all this fine stuff. And it's like, well, what what could I possibly offer in the face of this? And it's like, well, what you can offer is what you do best. And what you, you know, your what he can do better than anyone in the world is to play his drum. And so that is what he offers. And of course it's well received because that, like I said, and the, there's no finer gift than to find to, that's that's what life is about, is finding your drum and then having the courage to play it for all it's worth. And that's, you know, that's your, that's your contribution to the universe. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I'm so glad you found your drum because, oh my goodness, what a difference you've made in education. And I mean, to think about your journey and teach like a pirate and all of the people that you have impacted through your public speaking, through your books that you have empowered educators to write and have published you and you and Shelly have done just a, an amazing job at really disrupting <laughs> education and very needed disruption and it's it's really it's really amazing and exciting to be a part of it and I couldn't be uh, more honored to be part of the DBC family well, we're proud to have you as a family member, and we're proud to publish Make Learning Magical. And we've seen the impact that's had on so many teachers, so many classrooms. And I think that you know your story is so unique because 
um, partly because of uh, your, your subject, right? And people, because I, I talk to people all the time, say like, well, I want to do these things, but I teach this or I teach that and all these books. Are, it's like, well, I mean, you were a culinary arts teacher and yet you completely transformed your classroom and, and created these incredible experiences for kids. And I think it's a perfect, it's something I point to people when they say like, well, but I teach this subject. Like, oh, no, no, no. It doesn't matter what subject you teach. This is about creating experiences and, um, and creating this um, you know, as you would say, magic for your students, right? And so uh, I think it's a powerful book to have in the line in particular because you teach a subject which is, is not something that um, normally, you know, there's not a lot of culinary arts teachers with books, right? And, and so you, you were able to do that. And I remember discussions, many discussions with you when that book was being developed where it was kind of two paths to go down. Like, is this going to be a book that's specific just for culinary arts teachers? Or is it going to be a book that any educator could use? And I think that what you were able to do was to hit it perfectly in that uh, if you are a culinary arts teacher, man, this book is going to be especially for you, right? You're going to be excited when you read this book. But yet the principles behind why you were able to do what you could in your classroom can be widely applied to any subject. That's what I try to do with Teach Like a Pirate is almost every example in my book is from my classroom, social studies, U.S. history classroom. But it's not the example that's important. It's the principle behind the example. It's the engagement strategy that's important. And then you giving people the, the tools that they can take those same strategies, those principles, and apply it broadly across whatever their age group is they're working with or whatever their curriculum is. And so I think the books are, are similar in that fashion. And so we're glad to have that uh, book in the line. And basically, you mentioned the disruption. You know, the disruption was something that we did at the beginning as far as the publishing industry. Uh, I always tell people, when you see an industry based on an outdated model, that means it's time for it to be disrupted. And we thought the publishing industry was based on an outdated model. So we decided to come in and disrupt it. And then over the course of doing that, what our mission has uh, become is one of, I would call it amplification, right? We're trying to find people. It started with my message. But then now we're trying to find people who are doing powerful things in education and allow them to amplify their voice and amplify their message and spread their message. And then, you know, the more, the better we are at helping educators spread their messages and help other educators, then the more successful we are in turn. And that's something that I think is super important about the world is there's a great spirit of reciprocity in the universe is that when you're able to find ways to help other people, support other people, build communities, then those people, those communities turn around and support you. And so it's sort of like a, a you know, if you're looking for a shortcut to success, maybe maybe there isn't one, but if there is a shortcut to success, it's to help other people find their success. And if you have enough other people, and that, I think that was uh, um, uh, something that's based on a Zig Ziglar quote too, that if you help enough other people, become successful and to get what they want, then you can get whatever you want as well. Yeah, that's true. You actually posted another quote this week um, by Napoleon Hill. It is literally true that you can succeed best and quickest by helping others succeed. I think that was you that had posted yeah, that. Napoleon Hill. Yeah. I mean, he's a, we could talk yeah. for hours on Napoleon Hill. So we won't, don't worry, Tisha, but uh, <laughs> uh, he's the author most famously of Think and Grow Rich, um, which is a book basically uh, he studied success principles and he dedicated, you know, some like 20 years of his life following people like Andrew Carnegie and some of these, uh, you know, 
monster successful business people and trying to figure out what is the secret sauce what is unique about these people that makes that makes them different and and kind of curated all that information and brought it forward and again he's written several books i think laws of success is one of them but most famously think and grow rich and so that's one of his principles that he talks about is is helping other people find their success yeah that that is so true and i think that it it's powerful. And I know in, in my work and helping teachers um, as a tech integration specialist, I I love that. I love just coming alongside and, and helping people succeed. You know, like I, you want everybody, everybody that comes into my office hours or that asks for help, like you, you want them to be successful. You want them to connect with kids. You want them to be able to create unforgettable experiences for their students. And it's always so it's what brings me joy is to be able to help others be able to do that in their classrooms and and talking about you know that uncommon experience that's another quote that I always have in my presentations that's from you is provide an uncommon experience for your students and they will reward you with an uncommon effort and attitude and I've seen that time and time again and that really is is really part of the magic that happened in my classroom is that I I did things differently. I provided that uncommon experience. And when I started to do that, that's when things really shifted for my students. Yeah, that's that, that's one of my favorite quotes. In my, if I had to choose one of my favorite quotes of my own book, which is an odd thing to do, that would be, that would probably be top, top yeah. three for sure. Yeah, I love it. I love it. So I'm sure that this, this pandemic has kind of you know, shaked your world. I know that you, prior to to COVID-19, you know, we were all over the place speaking and um, traveling. And, and I know that that disruption, I'm sure has shifted things and, and uh, made you pivot as a company and as a a public speaker. So what's, what's new with you? How has this pandemic uh, disrupted your world and what new things are on the horizon for GBC? Yeah, so for sure it was a disruption, and uh, uh, I, you know, I was, for example, my, my typical August is I'm in a different town every day, Monday through Friday, giving professional development. And uh, from Mar- my last speaking event, I can tell you the exact date was March 13th, and even that one was questionable, right? I, was, I couldn't even believe they actually held that one, but it was March 13th in Pennsylvania. That was the last in-person speaking event, and then the calendar got wiped absolutely completely clean. Um, and so that was a huge transformation. And then of course, immediately we had to pivot to figure out like, okay, how are we going to develop, uh, deliver professional development virtually? And so I called on some of the skills that I had from doing book, virtual book studies and ed camps and different things like that. And, you know, so created a virtual program, help some of our speakers create virtual programs and help them navigate that space as well. And then try to figure out how we can best support educators in the, in, at this time. And so, you know, one of the first things we did is we're like, okay, listen, the t- teachers need help right now. Let's drop all these books down. And we, you know, pulled all our Kindle prices down to like two ninety nine. dollars I just, I just, here's all of our everything we have anything you need 
here it is for $2.99. And so that was something that we did right away to try to get information in the hands of people. And then, you know, I've kind of transformed my blog to be more of a place, less of a place for me to write, but more of a place where I could amplify some voices of people who have experience in the, on the front lines of remote learning and distance learning. And so I'm like, Hey, Matt Miller here, right? Here's 50 back to school activities you could do. Here's uh, just kind of giving the blog to different people and allowing them the chance to share their remote learning and distance learning ideas. Um, you know, like John Meehan shared his classes, Lava, off the Netflix show, Flora's Lava, and all these. And so just think of what, what do educators need right now? So my writing has been either either uh, trying to be inspirational and get people to uh, better prepared to face all this transition and uncertainty, or just really hands-on things that we can drop into people's hands. And also, we developed the Facebook Live shows. And you know what? Again, educators need support right now. So what we can do, let's just start having Facebook Lives every week. And it started off with multiple times. Now we're still doing them once a week on Thursdays. But professional development, let's get a, let's get an author in here and have them give some strategies that people can use in a remote and distance setting. And so uh, just trying to shift and be as supportive and um, in tune to what educators need at the moment. Yeah, and you absolutely have been. And that's one of the things that I love about DBC is that you're always you're always innovating. You're always meeting the needs of, of educators and, and finding where that where that spot is. And you're also always empowering and supporting others and highlighting others. And I I just appreciate that. And uh, you are you're you're amazing. Your company's amazing. I so appreciate you and Shelly and your entire team and what you bring to education and what you do to support your authors too. It's an incredible company to be a part of. And I'm excited just to, to follow your journey. You are at, I think over maybe a hundred books now. Do you know a number? Oh yeah. I think maybe more up around 115, 120 or something like that with more, more on the way coming. And yeah, so we have some titles coming out soon that we're super, super excited about. And all the, you know, all the titles that we've released in 2020, we're very excited about, of course. And the whole line, um, we're pumped about. And it's, that's to us, I mean, that's the most, the greatest thing about doing this company is we get to work with all these incredible people and help them share their messages, help them share their stories, um, one of which is yours. And so that's, that's something that's been, um, you know, very uplifting for us. Yeah. Well, that's amazing. My book was 57 two years ago. So <laughs> to be over 100 books in two years is absolutely amazing. Well, Dave, I so have appreciated you being on the show today. It has been um, an amazing conversation. And I am so excited that you launched this new season of Make Learning Magical. And again, I thank you so much for how much you've inspired me and empowered me to be able to share my story and to to beat my drum. And uh, you're appreciated. Thank you so much for having me on the show. I love Make Learning Magical podcast. So it's an honor to kick off season two. And by the way, if you haven't heard season one, it's all right there. Go back and check out the episodes of season one. And I can't wait to see who you have on this year. Thanks. Super excited. So I know, Dave, that everybody who hasn't already read your book or followed you are going to want to after this episode. So how can we find Dave Burgess on social media? Super easy. First of all, I blog at daveburgess.com. 
And so we'd love to have you sign up for the email list and get those blogs right into your inbox. And I am on Twitter all the time at Burgess Dave. So my name just flipped around to Burgess Dave. And if you're an Instagram person, you can find me at DBC underscore INC. So DBC underscore INC on Instagram. Fantastic. Thanks, Dave. And have a magical day, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Make Learning Magical podcast. I hope you were inspired by this episode and encouraged to find new ways to bring magic into teaching and learning. You can connect with me on Twitter at Tish Rich, Instagram at Tish Richmond, or on my website at tisharichmond.com. Please use the hashtag MLMagical to share thoughts about this episode. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and tune in next week for another magical episode.